Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at StoneBank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at ArkansasArts.org. Howdy, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. We have a special treat for you this week as we present 17-year-old award-winning fiddle prodigy Mary Parker and her band, Sillimore Special, recorded live at the Ozark Folk Center State Park. Our producer, Jeff Glover, and I will listen to our friend Roger Fountain performing the tune Listen to the Mockingbird and author... Folklorist and songwriter Charlie Sandage continues our celebration of 50 years of the Buffalo National River. That's this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. For over 10 years now, Mary Parker has been a regular performer here at the Ozark Folk Center State Park. That's extraordinary considering that she's only now 17 years old. The middle of her family of nine children Mary has distinguished herself as a world-class old-time and bluegrass fiddle player and vocalist. She's won 10 state fiddle championships, as well as numerous bluegrass competitions with her many different bands. Most recently, her band Sillimore Special won first place at the Youth in Bluegrass competition in Branson, Missouri. you come to Mountain View? Have you been here all your life? What's your backstory here with I'll Mountain View? I'll say almost all my life. I moved here because of the music. Um, I started playing fiddle at around the age of five. I moved up here when I was seven because I fell in love with it, the community here, all the music. Just wanted to be surrounded by it. So where was home prior to Mountain View? Home was in Quitman, Arkansas, oh. not far away. No, not at all. I mean, that's what, 30, 45 minute drive? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it you remember back then that was the appeal musically and and the town in general. Man, all all the festivals here, I'll say like Bean Fest and Folk Fest, um, just being surrounded, it 
it was just so loving just being around the musicians. They were so welcoming, being able to um, let me join in on them. And I remember coming over here to the Craft Village and wa watching Mr. Uh, Roger Fountain and all them. Uh, and it inspired me to play a lot more, push myself. I, I, just, I just loved it all here. Now, did you have a musical background in your family prior to coming here? Prior, there wasn't there wasn't too much music going on in my life. Neither my parents did play, but they were. Um, my dad was country and a bluegrass lover. My older brother he took up fiddle for a little while, but he he hasn't continued it. Oh, okay. Now I didn't even know you had an older brother. <laughs> yeah, I have two older brothers and two older sisters. Okay, and then how many younger? Um, two younger brothers and two younger sisters. Okay, all right. So you're sort <laughs> Smack of like dab in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. As far as fiddle playing, then had you had private lessons? Had you picked it up some other way? Well, um, before moving here, I would take several trips to the local music store here. Mountain View Music. Yes, sir. Shea Poole. Shea Poole was my first teacher, and she, she was a fantastic teacher, trying to teach me everything she could. Um, then after that, Mr. Roger Fountain, he would teach me. I had Deanne Gillespie. I had all the local fiddlers here. They had the chance to sit in, and they got to teach me something. It's amazing how you can speak right to my heart 
Did you have an epiphany or a realization that playing fiddle was something that came a little more naturally and easier to you than maybe other kids? Well, I don't know. I, to <laughs> me, it's, it seems so hard. It was a lot of work. Sure, sure. For sure. But, you know, I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed it. There were some times I got burnt out. I didn't want to play. But then after a few weeks, I would get come right back to it. it it's part of my life, to tell you the truth. Did you notice... I, and I'm, I know this may be uncomfortable f for you to say, but I mean, did you notice you were picking things up quicker or more advanced maybe than other kids at some point? <laughs> I don't think I did, to tell you the truth. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> it did stress me out at times. Okay. Well, but... <laughs> well, let me say this. I mean, from the outside, as an observer, when you started coming here to play, it was obvious to a lot of us that you were a lot more advanced. You were picking things up quicker. You were a little bit more advanced. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Of the 
Did you have anything to do with music roots or taking classes in school? And if so, tell me about that. However, I didn't start in music roots. Okay. When I reached the um, age when I was in fourth grade, I I was able to go take um, some fiddle lessons there. I, that's when I took up the band, the Clawhammer banjo, worked with Mark Jones, and got to um, get into the ensemble there where they put groups together. And that's when I joined the group Twang. And that, that was so much fun. And just playing with other kids around my age, it, it was so uplifting. And, of course, there's kids your age, but you were also playing with adults. Mm -hmm. yes, was, was there a difference in playing with your peers and adults? Did you have more fun with the kids and maybe a little bit more business-like with the older folks? What was your approach? You know, there's, there's always a mix of it. Um, it depends on who I'm playing with. But... I did have lots of fun playing with adults, getting to learn from them as well. And I also got to learn stuff from other kids my age as well. So. You've been listening to 17-year-old Mary Parker and her band, Sillimore Special. We began that set with Mary and the band knocking out a good old Ralph Stanley instrumental, Daybreak and Dixie, followed by a traditional tune, Sally Gooden. Next, we showcased Mary's terrific singing with a song written by Paul Overstreet and Don Schlitz, When You Say Nothing At All. After that, we heard the band's guitar player sing Fraulein, a song written in the 1950s by Lawton Williams, and they finished up the set with Wheel Hoss, 
an instrumental composed by the father of bluegrass music, the great Bill Monroe. Let's take a short break right now. When we come back, I think I'll see what's going on with our producer, Jeff Glover. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. You know, I'm really fortunate. Uh, our producer, Jeff Glover, who puts this show together, he, uh, he's a neighbor of mine. He lives uh, just about a mile or maybe half a mile north of me. I think he's working down in the vault today. Let's go down and see what's going on with him. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Dave. Well, it looks like you got everything pretty well under control down here. It's about as neat as I've ever seen it. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, man. Yeah, not bad. Oh, well, how's everything going, Dave? Everything's good. Hey, you know, I heard some construction going on over at your place a while back. What was going on over there? Oh, that was probably, uh, if you could hear much noise from your place, it was probably my son, Jed, was in visiting, and we were rebuilding my cattle guard, which is, of course, that series of bars that you cross oh, so I don't have yeah, to have yeah, a yeah. gate. That thing that makes my car rumble when I <laughs> drive over the here. That's the one, my own personal rumble strip. Well, I'll be darned. How's Jed doing these Jed's days? Jed's doing great. We were so glad that he visited. He was here for about two weeks. Wonderful. Where's he living these he days? He lives in Juneau, Alaska, of all places, a long way from here. Oh, well, he can't escape the radio show up there, though. No, and as a matter of fact, I think he listens to it on KRNN there in Juneau, Alaska. Well, I'll be darned. Yeah. Well, that's great, Dave. At least I hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got this uh, recording I found of a guy named Roger Fountain doing bird calls on his fiddle. You know anything about uh, Roger Fountain? Yeah, I do. Roger's a pretty good friend of mine. In fact, he and I started here at the Folk Center uh, in 1977. Both started working here. We were both young guys at that time. Um, I was singing, and he was playing the fiddle mostly. He's a terrific dance fiddler. Um, been doing it for a long time, and I'll bet if you heard Bird Calls, you probably heard him do one of his most requested tunes, and that's Listen to the Mockingbird. Listen to the Mockingbird. Yeah, it reminded me of that theme from the the Little Rascals, our gang show from years and years, <laughs> yeah. and years ago. I think it's the same tune, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, down in the South, we've got these Mockingbirds, and they, they're amazing. They actually do mock the calls of other birds, and they're... Uh, they're a, a morning bird. You hear them in the morning, and it's beautiful because they, instead of singing the same thing over and over, you get a you get the whole thing of all the birds that are around. You hear them all. Well, I'll be done. Well, hey, Dave, let's listen to this recording of Roger Fountain playing Listen to the Mockingbird. Okay.
Thank you. Yeah, that's Roger, all right. That guy can sure play. He is. He's like a staple dance fiddler around here, as far as I know. That's right. I'd probably rather square dance to Roger than just about anybody. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I understand just knows every tune in the world <laughs> and can, can play dances all night long. Yes, he does. Yep. Excellent. Very good. Well, thanks, Dave. All right. I appreciate you finding that. It's nice to hear Roger again. All right. Roger's a treat. See you, Dave. All right. Bye, Jeff. Let's return to more good music from Mary Parker and her band. With her seemingly indefatigable sunny disposition and a voracious appetite for learning new music, Mary appears destined to carry on her already auspicious career in music. Mary is joined in this performance by her award-winning band, Sillimore Special. The band features another championship musical prodigy, Lillianne McCool on banjo, also bass player and vocalist Mercy Grace, guitar picker and vocalist Turner Turnip Atwell, and Mary's talented younger brother, mandolinist and jig dancer, Gordon Sugarfoot Parker. quickly maybe you can just mention the musicians in that group yes sir um so we had miss lillian mccool she's our banjo player uh she is 18 years old 
fantastic. She was the 2018 National Claw Hammer Champion, so she plays three finger style and claw hammer. Uh, we also have Mr. Turner Atwell. He also goes by the name of Turnips around here. <laughs> and he's also 18 years old. Fantastic voice. Um, he's only been playing for a short amount of years, four or five. He's a fantastic picker. He's he's progressed so much in just a short amount of time. It is it is amazing. Okay, moving on. So Turnip, who else? We have Miss Mercy Grace. Uh, she was a member of her family band, Resonating Grace. Um, she is 18 years old as well. Fantastic singer. She's um, She's got such a soulful voice, and her bass playing is over the top. Um, so we're blessed to have her in our band. He's a dynamite, uptight, out of sight, backyard Romeo. Gordon Parker, he's he happens to be my little brother. He does. I'm I'm not sure if that's fortunate or not. Um, <laughs> you don't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> not at all. But I will say I'm I'm proud of him as well. He's he's worked so hard trying to put his best out in the band. 
Well, let's talk about Gordon for a minute. So, you know, he was sort of the prototypical little brother, maybe like a fly you were trying to <laughs> swat away at times, yes. right? Yes, I'll but say. Of, but of course, you love him dearly. So I would say in the past year or two, something just clicked with him. It Is really that right? did. It really did. You know, we really wanted him to pick up an instrument like ever since I was playing as well. He he didn't took too much interest in it because he thought it was a lot of work. But within the past year or so, I think he got inspired by something or another. He start, he started really working at it. He's he's practicing almost every day or every other day. So some, something did, for sure. Uh, well, yeah, Gordon's great. I mean, he's really come along and matured in the past few years. And how, how old is he, 13 or 14? He is know. 15. Okay. 15. He just turned 15 over the summer. Well, I was born down in the Southland.
We just heard four more fine tunes performed on our stage by Mary Parker and Sillimore Special. We heard bass player Mercy Grace sing the traditional hymn, Swing Low Sweet Chariot. Then guitarist Turner Atwell rocked out on an Osborne Brothers song, Tennessee Hound Dog, and Turner finished up with Freeborn Man. Let's take another short break. When we come back, guest host Charlie Sandage will continue his piece about America's first national river. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. This week, singer-songwriter Charlie Sandage continues his history of the Buffalo National River. Here's Charlie. Red-tailed hawk lives there Gray squirrel and black bear They never had to know Folks tried to damn her We fought to keep her Not so very long ago Continuing our series celebrating the 50th anniversary of the creation of a national park in the Arkansas Ozarks known as the Buffalo National River, allow me a personal note. In 1992, when Dr. Neil Compton, a Northwest Arkansas physician and outdoor enthusiast, published his book, The Battle for the Buffalo River, I thought it was a compelling story about a group of folks wanting to do the right thing in opposition to others who were equally well-intentioned, but taking a position I saw as wrong. Like many others who now treasure the Buffalo River as it is, I failed to grasp the complex human story behind the conflict over whether to dam the river or preserve it. Ozark historian Brooks Blevins, you might recognize him as a regular, surpassingly knowledgeable contributor to Ozark Highlands Radio, walks us through it, beginning at what I first thought to be a surprising point in time. If you really want to get back to the origins of the Buffalo River controversy, I, I guess you could go all the way back to 1927, the year of the great Mississippi River flood. It was that flood and the aftermath of the flood and all the, the millions and probably even billions of dollars lost that really led the Army Corps of Engineers and the federal government into the dam building business. Dams, controlled floodways, and other major projects were a big part of the answer to protecting towns and farms from another such disaster along the Mississippi and other major rivers. Interest in what dams could do accelerated during the Great Depression. The Tennessee Valley Authority, created in 1933, 
demonstrated how hydroelectricity could transform the lives of people in the country's rural uplands and what kind of economic impact lakes could have. This had already happened just one county away. Dr. Blevins. It was really the economic impact that Norfolk Lake had on the Mountain Home area that first convinced people in other uh, parts of, of the Ozarks that a dam could be a really good thing. The Ozarks was obviously a poor place, and, and a lot of people uh, in Marshall and other places saw an Army Corps of Engineers dam as a potential lifesaver when it came to uh, saving and improving a local economy. In that spirit, the first of several leading elected officials took the step that began to define the divide in public opinion and political decision-making that would soon play out. When James Trimble, the congressman for Northwest Arkansas, presents a uh, bill uh, calling for uh, two dams to be built on the Buffalo River in the late 50s, that's when it all, when the ball starts uh, really rolling. The congressman's bill was first stalled by concerns over economic feasibility, and by the time it was reintroduced in the early 60s, a new mindset had emerged. In the early 60s, you're starting to have more uh, environmentalists and canoeists who oppose the idea of damming the buffalo because it's such a popular uh, float stream in such a beautiful place. And uh, the Audubon Society, Sierra Club, Nature Conservancy, these different groups, eventually they, they coalesce uh, more or less into a society, into a group called the Ozark Society. That was the group that Dr. Compton came to lead. About the same time, area proponents of the dam concept formed the Buffalo River Improvement Association, hoping for the benefits their neighbors just to the northeast had gained. The battle lines were drawn, but there was a third set of interests, one that got far less attention. What a lot of people don't remember is that there was actually at one time a third organization involved in this. It was called the Buffalo River Landowners Association, and it was made up primarily, as the name would suggest, of people who owned land along the Buffalo that they would be in danger of losing whether or not a dam was built or if a national park was founded. Zed Davenport is a native of the Buffalo River area. A longtime employee of the park, he often found himself needing to explain to the home folks what the Buffalo National River staff was trying to do and also explain to the BNR staff the quandary his family and others had faced since before the park was ever created. He was a teenager when families along the river were beginning to realize that someone else was going to choose between dams or a park. Of course, that uh, went against all of the local landowners that, that lived on the river and uh, made their living on the river. And so they would kind of had a, uh, between a rock and a hard place, they, they had nowhere to go or what to do. The forces were more powerful than they were, I guess you would say. But those that had the farms in the bottomlands that uh, raised crops and pastures and so on like that for their cattle and the livestock, they wanted to, to live like they always did. And so they uh, really had a, had a hard time accepting either side. Brooks Blevins. Well, in the early 60s, as these uh, groups square off against each other, you have a, a lot of publicity 
uh, on the Buffalo uh, controversy. You have uh, Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas comes at the the invitation of uh, the group, uh, people involved with the Ozark Society and floats the buffalo and gets a lot of publicity. Uh, You have uh, other people, people on the other side, including a, a number of prominent journalists in small towns in North Arkansas who are still favoring the dam and writing things and in, in, in appreciation of, of the dam and what it can mean for the local economy. So it's getting it's starting to get a, a lot of press. And in the middle of all this, you've also got a, a parallel development that's happening in southeastern Missouri. Dr. Blevins went on to explain that a similar controversy surrounding the current and Jack's Fork Rivers in the Missouri Ozarks finally culminated in a 1964 bill creating a national park and closing a portion of those streams, a possible model. Controversy continued in Arkansas until 1972. The final turn came when the district's congressman and Arkansas's governor both spoke out in favor of a park. A bill to that effect was adopted and the Buffalo National Park was created. The National Park Service took up its task to protect the river and serve both visitors and residents. Balancing those interests would remain a challenge and would be complicated in years to come by other issues, but that's a story for future segments in our series. Thanks, Charlie. Let's finish up this week's show with some more good instrumentals from Mary Parker and her band, Sillamore Special. Did I mention that these great musicians are teenagers? Mary, for example, first started playing fiddle on our stage at the age of six. Now, at 17, she's one of the finest fiddlers you'll ever hear. Let's listen to her knockout, Salt Creek. Thank you. 
by my count and my role here as a music director, I see you with what seems to be 97 <laughs> bands. Yes. Sir. I mean, do you ever say no to anybody when they ask you to play? I try not to. Good for you. I, I, I love playing as as much as I can, but there's sometimes I have to say no because I already had a prior commitment to a gig, but I, I try never to, never yeah, say no. That's good. I mean, for young musicians listening out there, no is not necessarily a good word when you're coming up. <laughs> yes, once you you know, once you get a little more established and you're busier, you have to be a little bit more selective. But especially mm -hmm. in this environment, because you were really being exposed to a lot of different, you know, musical styles, musical tastes, personalities of a different adults and having to work with them. It's a great learning experience. It really is. Um and I've I've learned so much playing with different types of people and, and their different music. It was really helpful to develop my playing as well. Still is. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your father, Toby, for a little while. He passed away, uh, I guess it's been three or four years now. Yes, I can't sir. recall. Obviously, he was a big influence on your music career and getting involved in music. Tell me about that. He did. I mean, ever since I picked up the fiddle, um, he, he would make sure I had the availability I needed to um, progress as much as I wanted. He was there... Um, Help, helping me, even though he didn't play himself, he he would help me. He's like, 
give me pointers or tips he learned from other people or what they'd say. Um, he'd take me to festivals whenever I wanted it as well. He And sometimes while I wasn't encouraged, he was there, the one there to push me um, um, and, help, and help me out for sure. And I'll say he did he did give me a good start on my musical career. Um, and if if he wasn't there for any of that, I, I don't know if I'd be continue playing music right now. I don't know about you, but I've got to get my heart rate down. That was Mary Parker and Sillimore Special playing their most requested tune, the Orange Blossom Special. Before that, they played Cousin Sally Brown, which followed Salt Creek. Thanks for listening to our show. I'm so glad that you folks got to hear these talented young musicians. Be sure and tune in next week for more music and folklore from the Ozark Mountains. This is Dave Smith. Have a great week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from Arkansas State Parks, a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. 
the Committee of 100 proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974, and by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar. Mm-hmm.